Hello and welcome to episode number 88 of Storytelling with Seth. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. It's my pleasure to bring you part two of my amazing conversation with a gentleman known as Matt B. Lloyd. For those of you familiar with Comics in Motion, Classic Comics, and also DC Comics News, Matt B. Lloyd is a familiar name and voice. For those just getting to meet him, this is part two. If you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend going back, listening to part one of our discussion for Will Eisner Week about the legendary, famous graphic novel, A Contract with God. Here in part two, we follow up on many of the themes that were introduced and explore some new ideas behind how Will Eisner was able to balance the weight of his art and also the message he wished to share through every character and every story contained within a contract with God. Now, here is part two. That's a great moment to point out because it is uh, just flawless execution. And it, it actually highlights a couple of things for me. I'm reminded that when I was reading through the preface for the version I have, he makes a reference to uh, a, a series of experimental graphic artists who existed in 1978, who he was encouraged by. And he includes names like uh, Otto Nuckel, uh, Franz Mazariel, and Lynn Ward. And um, that they published serious novels told strictly in art without text. So I was kind of intrigued by the fact that he was attempting to do something similar at times in his other works. And this is a great example of when he makes it not only like work, but also makes it uh, so real to the reader that there's that feeling of he could do that. With yeah. enough time and enough patience, <laughs> he's shown us that he can do that and he can do that so well. It also for me, I think much like the intro to A Contract with God, highlights the fact that one of the things we haven't really mentioned yet about this book is the fact that it's all told in black and white. There is no color throughout any of this. Yeah. And that I was curious what your take on that was, because one, thinking back to black and white being such a staple in weekly strips and mm -hmm. things like that, as well as maybe some of the earliest versions of comic stories before we really moved into the four color and, and what was the expected. But, but, what so often has now been returned to in things like uh, Batman black and white and oh, yeah, other yeah, yeah. artistic examples where we're saying, Hey, uh, how good are these artists? And sometimes when, when they'll put up those shots on like Twitter or something where they're like, here's the sketch, here's the ink, here's the color. And sometimes you'll get stuck in those first two, like, what does that look like? How much, <laughs> what would a book like that look like? And yeah. now you have this chance with a contract from God, a contract with God to read an entire book for amazing stories, all told with only the mastery of uh, light, dark and shadows in between. It, there, there, that makes me think of a couple things. You mentioned Twitter. Um, one of the comic artists I follow on Twitter is uh, Sandra Hope, and she very often has a quick little video of her inking and some of the stuff she's inking is just like, how do you even see that? Let alone delineate, you know, a line like that. Or she's like doing this free hand you know, and stuff. It's, it's really neat to, to see her, her stuff when she's, when she's doing that, it, it gives you, I don't know, an insight into the, 
the process that I don't think you always get when you pick up the final the final comic at the store and you read There's it. There's so then, many layers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the effort and the you ever inked a comic book before? Me? Yeah. No. no. I did. I did a couple comics uh, for projects in school, and at the time, I found it to be so difficult to to focus on all those lines. Over it was ex- it was almost excruciating at the time for me. I'd probably be better at it now because I'm older. I'm more mature. I can sit still. Um. I, at the time I had the hardest time doing that, but to see her, her art like that and be able to do that. It's amazing. It also makes me think of um, the first issue of action comics in the new 52 with Grant Morrison. The artist is Rags Morales. And at the back of the book, there were a couple pages of uh, shots of uninked pages of his work and, my jaw went from here to here <laughs> when I, I saw that I was, I honestly said, why did they ink it? Right. Why his black and white, his pencils were gorgeous. And that's what Eisner's touch reminds me of. It's mm. that sort of really, I mean, just the, the look at the way he's doing the, the buildings and the brickwork and like the rain and the others or that kind of thing. It, it just you don't you don't need it it's it's a case of you know you've you found a way to tell a story that you don't need the color we're used to the color but you don't need it and mm. not everyone's art works that way it's it's the way he he places the 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 light in the dark what 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 is a, a black area what is a light area where he's using line where he's not using line um it makes me think of uh, Alex Toth in that way. If you've ever looked at any mm, Alex yeah. Toth work, uh, most people are probably familiar with his designs for the uh, Super Friends TV show in the right. '70s. But you know, you look at some of his, his artwork later on, and he's just breaking things down to the most simplest forms and stuff. And it's and his black and white stuff is it, it's just like Eisner in that it's it's perfect like that and you just don't need that color you don't need too many lines i mean even look at the building and that one shot it's not even all the bricks aren't even drawn it's just the suggestion of bricks and it's enough to tell the story but it also functions as a like, like in comics you have to think of not just the individual panel but the whole page as a work as well and it it helps balance the weight where it's lighter at the top and all the heavy blacks are down here at the bottom. It's balancing the, the page and the way you look at it as well as you're, you know how to read the story, but it, it balances the overall page as a, as a single piece as well, which is something that doesn't always happen. But when it does, it turns out to be something really special. And that's something he's good at. And I think that that just goes along with that. You don't, you don't need the color because the color would, would quite honestly, would ruin that page. You add that color in and all you're trying to do is make it look like life, but the real life is in the story of the characters. You don't necessarily need 
everything to be photorealistic. You know, it's that right. kind of it's it's art as it, it, when it gets into art, it's more of a uh, a modern sensibility with uh, an impressionistic sensibility. Uh, uh, that kind of an expressionistic sensibility when you talk about the history of art and it's, it's being able to uh, utilize some of those approaches as opposed to, Oh, we're illustrating a story because you're not illustrating a story. You're, you're telling a story with pictures. So you don't, so, but it doesn't have to be illustration, mm. just something completely different. Right. <laughs> so that's a long yeah. way. Of, that's a long way of saying I don't need the color. That's okay. <laughs> I apologize to any professional comic book colorist who I've offended. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. <laughs> no. When, when when you when they do color, we we want it in the story. It's part of the plan. You know, Will clearly had a plan, which was to tell this in black and white. But in doing so, he also made a point of using the black and white to the degrees that you suggested, you know, the, the point at, uh, in that panel and then in that series of panels we were talking about that has no dialogue, that has no text of any kind. What, what's so great is the moments when the bricks are only partially there is when the note is falling down as though, you know, he's simply telling us, okay, take a look at the page, take a look at that panel. Why is it that you can see the bricks closest to where the note is? Why is it that all the bricks around that appear to, you know, fade away? As though if you were picturing that note falling down, the light around it would get brighter. The details around it would diminish and only those that are necessary to understand what's near it, like those few bricks right there. And the rest of it is just like the mind's eye, which it feels like he had always. And that when you were talking about Sandra Hope with the... Uh, the inking. It feels like when artists have developed that mind's eye, that they already know how it's going to look when it's done. They're just showing you how they get there, which is such a thing because it's like somebody saying, I know the way, there's no map, but just follow me. So you're following them and suddenly you realize what they've done, got you right where you needed to, the way you needed to, because they already saw it big picture all the way up from the yeah. top. Like they had that eagle eye view and now they bring it close enough that they're like, okay, let me show you what I just saw. You know, and I feel like in this, he's doing that for us. He's like saying, in each of these panels, I'm showing you what you should be seeing, not what you're looking for. I'm pointing out to you exactly what's important. And then in doing so, he makes us see that note. He makes us see the way suddenly as we're looking at that guy, a lot of the details around him disappear because he's in the same light looking up with the hope and everything about him is what's important to us. So it's almost like he does this wonderful job throughout each of these stories of training our eye to understand exactly what we should be seeing, why it's important, why he's not putting effort into the other things because those are the details that are there, but that when the story is happening to you, you're not really paying attention to just like we do in real life, just like yeah, we're all yeah. prone to do. We're not going to pay attention <laughs> to the things maybe we should be paying attention to because there's the thing that's caught our attention. Um, and then there's this final story because we've already talked about super. I've already mixed it up in the order so we can, we can keep that. But cookling, you know, was, was... Can, can we go to the super for one thing? Cause there's one sure. thing in the soup. There's one thing in the super that this time going through it really, uh, really stunned me um please do or really stood out to me uh, we talked about how he makes us feel sympathy for the superintendent 
the mm-hmm. building. But what about the crazy switch with him and the girl? And we, we, they've set up the whole thing that the super's this you know, guy that nobody likes. He's a pain. He's always rude and uh, unfriendly. And he's kind of this pervert that has, uh, uh, you know, pictures of naked women on the walls. And you can just imagine what he's doing out there by himself. But then it's this little 10-year-old girl that's the real evil one. Right. <laughs> There's an I interesting mean, moment in there where, where you realize. It's just shocking. It's just shocking. It's just like, oh, my God, you know. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the mischievousness, you know, the simply how, how much can I get away with that children are so easy? They, they just know how to embrace that, you know, that idea of yeah. like, what can I get away with? And, and then you, you add in with this child just this tiniest bit of maliciousness, that, that bit of yeah. malice that says, what will other people do if I ask them to? What, what can I, you know, get away with? And clearly she understands misdirection because, you know, once she's sort of like, you know, teased him to a degree yeah, and then, you know, gets what she's asking for, then she takes more and then proceeds to just like be so destructive to him along the way. It's just, it's this, it's like a Tasmanian devil suddenly shows up and he's just (laughs) dropped into the scene and you're like, wow, 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 wow. Hi, hon. I said now for a, a bit of a quick walk and uh, oh. giving me the, uh, you know, salute before she heads on <laughs> out. So I wanted to say hi, babe. Bye, babe. Um, but yeah, we, we suddenly get this Tasmanian devil who drops into the scene and just causes chaos. And suddenly this guy's life who we thought up until that moment maybe wasn't much to care about is completely taken away from even the sad pathetic things that gave him pleasure are are lost to him now and whoever he might have been is forever altered by you know how he's now perceived (laughs) but what but the thing that really get got me was that she planned the whole thing because she brought the poison down for the dog she she knew what she was doing the whole time it was all planned and that is just so so conniving and i just wonder where this story came from this is this i mean it i don't i don't know what i thought about it when i first read it all those years ago but reading it this time it was just and and yet yeah none of that's enough none of that is enough to give me you know uh, a satisfaction or b some sort of grace for the the thing that i want the most which is for that person to stay and that idea of that, you know, experience as he tells it through uh, a man of faith. And, and as I can only imagine his experience as someone who had just, I look at art as, as an expression of faith. So I feel like in so many ways, what he was showing us with his art was this expression of like, Hey, you gave me skills. This is how I'm going to use them. Like, I'm not going to sit on my gifts. I'm going to use them. I'm doing what you're supposed to do, which is use right. your skills and gifts to make the world uh, a more uh, informed, uh, a more uh, joyful, uh, a better place. And what do I get for it? What do I have to show for? <laughs> and, and, and what then do you do afterwards? You know, he, he presents the possibility, which is you, you get rid of everything. You give up the faith and you chase money. And then at some point you try and find a medium, 
But yeah, it, it seems in what he suggests in contract with God that, you know, there's fighting the experience and there's learning from it. And we get the chance to experience a character who, who fights it. And uh, the consequences are just as tragic <laughs> as the experiences that lead up to them. Well, I think, you know, as, as, as sad and as distraught as that kind of thing goes when you lose your, your faith in whatever you believe in, it kind of destroys you. And that's what, that's why he keeps trying to get back because he knows that if he can get back to that, he'll have regained some of that sense of uh, whether it's belonging or place in the world or, or, or whatever that that is that or that damage, I guess, to the soul that losing your faith does. Uh, he's trying so hard to get back to it. I kind of went on two different directions there, but you understand I'm trying, you know, losing that damage your soul. And that's the re- that's an even greater pain, perhaps, than losing his daughter, because now he, he lost his daughter. But he's also lost all that, all that other good emotion that comes through faith and belief, and whether it's in God or a higher power, or maybe even just his talents that he has what he does in the world to make the world a better place because he's not doing the same thing anymore in the story he's instead of being good old friend of hers who always does the right thing he's just trying he's out for himself trying to make money and he's and he's forever changed he knows it and he's trying to compensate for it which at some point we're all going to experience i mean i think for me probably one of my biggest i was like 17 thought i was going to be a really good soccer player Ah. Tore, tore my ACL, uh, went through three total knee surgeries before I eventually gave up playing. And there was this part of me once it happened that was just like, what do I do now? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 17. I, I was at this point where things were supposed to go this way. And I mean, as it is, I'm actually in talks with the doctors about a partial knee replacement soon. I'm only in my 40s. Oh, wow. But because of what I did, they warned me when I was 17, 18. They were like, yeah. when you get the surgery, man, it's going to help some, but you're going to face early arthritis. Your life will always be different because of this yeah. moment. And I mean, one of the hardest things I think I remember thinking was there was never a day when I didn't wake up experiencing some sort of pain from this thing that I had felt. And And that was probably a connection I understood from this story was that feeling of there is nothing that changes that that pain is always there. That pain is a constant once something has happened. It's, 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 it's not something you can negotiate. You know, it's, it's much like the world. You, you want the world to operate in the way you want it to operate, but the world exists the way it does. And it's how we change in response to the world. That's actually so often part of the story. And how much of us were unwilling to change in response. In this story, this character changes dramatically. My change was my own experience, but it's from that point that I can reference that things altered significantly for me. For him, this is when things alter significantly for him. And we all have a moment when there's an alteration to what we were, and then there's who we are. And that change is reflected from that point on. You can never get back you know it's like once a promise is broken once a 
you know, uh, spouse cheats on another spouse or uh, a lie is told and uh, it, it changes everything about what was something before that moment and what something is after that moment. And it's like when something happens to such a degree, Tony mentions it a lot, Tony Farina. Uh, he refers to it as a paradigm shift, that yeah. moment where everything is shifted. And we get a chance to experience it not only in this story, but then we get this interesting suggestion. I promise this is going somewhere. <laughs> we, get the, we get this interesting suggestion that that doesn't mean that there isn't an opportunity for the next time around, that there isn't uh, someone else who has the chance to forge a new contract or to pick up an old contract and potentially have a different fate, which for me was an interesting twist on this story because it doesn't end with no, it, it keep it keeps going it keeps going to me it's it's a sense of uh that there's a sense of hope still that at the end you know with a new person and and, and the next time it, it really could be different you know because I, I guess everybody's different everybody has their own experience and just because that happened with with, with hirsch it doesn't necessarily happen with that that kid who picks up the stone in the in the epilogue it's not also that part's not set (laughs) right because i mean it's also for me it kind of reminds me of that hope that i i always feel i don't have kids i've I've got two four-legged furry kids but my (laughs) sister has three and 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 my parents had me and, and people have children and it reminds me of that idea that i feel that so many parents have when it comes to their children there's that hope and promise that the things that changed our lives won't change theirs, that the experiences that, that, you know, allowed us to get this far when we wanted to go this far will not be the same things that will uh, affect their children, our children, um, that there is always hope in each new beginning. There's always possibility in each new beginning. And we get a, you know, a sort of heartbreaking, uh, ending of one story in the the first chapter of the contract with god but then we get this possibility this hope renewed this fresh start which it feels like is a reminder of what we see all around us for every loss we have is a new life brought in the world for every person who's losing hope is another one finding faith um yeah this is part of the thing we're in you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it keeps yeah. going. Yeah. It was there before us. It'll be there after us. And it continues to go. And sometimes e- even the tragedy and the loss I- is not the ending. It's just what leads to the next beginning, you know, this, yep. this restart. So kind of love that idea because we, we also then use that to move into the story of the super. And that's something which I, I love that you brought up and we've already kind of talked about a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but it, it keeps us in 55 dropsy. And then I, I love the idea that follows, which is the story of how you could get a really cheap form of entertainment with your nighttime slash meal by these crooners, <laughs> these crooners just hanging out in the street. What did you think about that next story as we moved our way through? Um, uh, the street singer? Yeah. Um, is the super the second story in your book? Because mine are reversed. The oh, uh, you're right. I switched singer. them around. Okay. Street singer, okay. and then into the super. My brain yeah. did the flop. 
<laughs> I just wondered if, if, if mine was different from yours. Um, no, you know, no. Different- I, for some reason, I slipped them around in my head. And now I'm looking. I'm like, no, no, no. Street Singer was number two. So you're right. So we move into the Street Singer before we get to the Super. So uh, go ahead on that one. Sure, sure. Um, the, uh, the Street Singer is one of those tragic characters that is brought down by his own uh, problems, his own foibles, his inability to, he, he's, he thinks he's found something, a way out, but he doesn't, he isn't able to change the essence of his life to take advantage of the opportunity. Um, one of the things that struck me about technique though and and style and storytelling was the fact that after the narration on the first the intro on the first couple pages to where he is sort of waxing nostalgic about the street singers is then the first actual one two three three pages he's telling a story with zero dialogue or captions it's all done simply with pictures and yet there is absolutely no doubt what's going on uh, in the story. Everything you, it, it's perfectly understandable with everything he's got, what exa- what's happened. And I think that's a, a really unique uh, ability to tell stories without, without any kind of captions or words. And it's not like uh, uh, the, uh, the, the first few pages of uh nick fury agent of shield number one by steranko where it's just a an action sort of thing which is really cool and all here there's a whole set of emotions and drama that he has to communicate through uh the lady looking out and dropping the note and his surprise and he reads it and the shock and the realization that i'm being appreciated for this and then you see the look on the woman's face and she's just oh she's just totally smitten it's like (laughs) so she she feels like you know you can tell she feels like this is something new in her life that is going to make her happy and the next page as well there's words at the very bottom but racing off to get dolled up for him it's just it doesn't require any words and that's one of those things you don't often get in comics is an economy of words to and let the stories art tell the stories it's i mean i guess in today's comics there's a lot more of that but at the time in 1978 when this came out there was no notion of letting the words or letting the pictures tell the story almost exclusively wow just i mean obviously it's you know finding the humanity in everyone and not judging books by their cover on both uh uh on both characters the little girl or the superintendent you can't judge either of them because you're you're missing who the real person is in both cases Uh, but the twist there with that is just a fantastically sophisticated story element that is not that you don't see coming you're kind of like it just gets weird it's like 
why did this little girl go downstairs? Why is, what is, what is she doing? I, I just thought it was, it, it affected me in a, a way that I, I certainly don't recall from the past, but. <laughs> no, I'm glad you went ahead and brought it up. I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that, yeah, there is something specific about this girl when she makes this decision. And you can, as you said, it's plotted. It's, it's planned out. She has, she has a whole idea of what she's going to do. And then there is something uh, horrifying about the ending when she knows that all of this has been caused by her. And once her part, once, you know, talking to the cops and, and sort of like, you know, doing what's asked of her by adults, she's back there with the box of money. Just counting the way on the step. Nope. Seeing what she's got and making a plan for what she's going to do next. And I mean, take your pick on whether or not this is a story about evil comes from the strangest of places. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Take, pick your version, you know, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the way this, this, as you said, this girl is introduced to this story and does such horrible things to this guy that not only do we feel for him afterwards, but we're also horrified at the possibility of this child and others like them existing in the world, what they could potentially do to us, what danger we are in, you know, from any child who's like, how can I take away everything you you love you know yeah, and yeah and where yeah. it is that in the most unexpected places and even the things that we secretly might desire that maybe we shouldn't maybe those things that are forbidden are not just forbidden because they're wrong for us to want and and desire um but also because you don't know where evil exists you don't know that yeah. that bright innocent desire you have or that object that you so want might actually be the very thing of your undoing the very yeah. you know <laughs> it's a it's a horrifying idea to consider and to his credit you know Eisner brings it out in, in such a in such a way that it's not built up uh that you should expect that from her but once yeah. she starts events in motion it, you're just busy trying to keep up like him. You're lost, you're confused. And then suddenly it's yeah. all come to this like shocking ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I am thankful that you brought that up. <laughs> I, I, I probably could have found a way to just totally like obscured that from our conversation. People like, wow, I, I wonder why you just moved. I think it was because I had made such, you know, mistake earlier with Super and then had already referenced that. I was like, okay, have we talked enough about the Super? But you point out that we haven't. And uh, now that we have mentioned that, I, I, I feel our conversation is more complete. Did you have <laughs> any other notes you wanted to add that you maybe had, uh, had taken? No, no, no. That, that, we, we hit that. I just, I just wanted to make sure we, we got that. I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready for Kukaline, the last now, story. Kukaline caught my attention too, because it's another one of those in which uh, Eisner says, the experience of the boy at the end is actually as close to an experience he had as he could portray it in this comic. Was that something you've been aware of? I wasn't, but I believed it was him when I read it uh, this time because the character name is Willie. Mm -hmm. There are other times he references uh, himself in some of his stuff when you can tell it's supposed to be him or uh, a near approximation to him. The character is named Willie. I've seen that before. Um, and then the pick, the way he draws the 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 boy, especially that last page, mm. that that's that's the way 
that's him. That's just the way he kind of drew himself. Other times I've seen, I, I got that much out of that. Out of that, I thought it was. I, I thought I was pretty sure it was him. I was surprised he would share that much of Adam's his personal life like that. But I thought it was him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised by it too because then I also took it into context and remembered who this boy is. You know, he's <laughs> uh, he's part of a family that's got its own story going on Golly, even Moses, outside of his yeah. yeah and then it's just one of the many stories that we get to discover and it's this idea that i feel like a, unless you knew about it at the time or unless you read a story like this it, it it's a brand new idea that people would leave the city for the summer that they would find a place to go that if you were uh you know in your late teens early 20s maybe you would go off to these uh places where you could have a little adventure, uh, knew that people with money sometimes like to hang out, and maybe you could find a, a, a leg up on your station in life. Yeah. And uh, how often that leads to misfortune for at least two characters. <laughs> uh, the reason why I knew about that people left the city in the summer was like that. Um, it's in the, uh, the movie, The Seven Year Itch. You ever seen that movie? I, I Tom, do remember Tom Yule and Marilyn yeah. Monroe. Yeah. The very it opens with Tom Yule's character sending the family off to the mountain out of the city for the summer because back then, no AC, the city would have been hot and miserable. Sure. <laughs> and if you could get out, you would. And so the husband would stay home. And you could tell that other people did it too. It was a bunch of people. It was it's just how things were, I guess. It's just a different experience uh than we would have now because we wouldn't I would not think of sending my uh did you hear sirens? I think that was here. <laughs> okay. I heard something and I can never tell at times if I'm getting a noise, like my dog whining, which can sometimes oh. sound <laughs> air squeaking, but I'm like, oh man, because I have to put on the headphones uh, so that they don't hear your audio because that'll sound oh. crazy. Like oh, I've learned right, right, right. because it's actually how I control the output of sound. But then because of that, anything that's going into the mic, I'm only going to pick up what I'm hearing through here. I'm uh -huh. not picking up anything that's going on around me. So suddenly I might hear a noise and I'm like, oh man, that's a loud noise. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, if someone's slamming a door or if there's a dog barking or something and all it takes is one package delivery and the dogs can bark. And I just like, I have to check to hear if I can hear it. Cause if I can, you can, and anybody watch and listen. So that's just my little check there. But uh, so, yeah, you were talking about the seven year itch, the, the seven yeah. off. Idea yeah, yeah, that, the same thing. Environment in the summer. <laughs> yeah, so obviously that's something that's been going on for years, and get them out and stuff. I I can't imagine sending my family off for the summer. It's bad enough when they went out of town for a couple of weeks to visit my wife's uh, sister in Germany, uh, and it's a combination of you know miserable and you know oh I got some time myself, but it's miserable being alone. <laughs> And what do you do with yourself? You're so used to a routine and that includes them that suddenly you're like, yeah, I've got all this free time. What do I do? What do I do? Yeah, yeah. And, well, you, uh, you work on more comic book reviews. You write some editorials. Go. If I had a podcast <laughs> at the time, I'd have written a couple podcasts. I might have written. I probably wrote a couple songs, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, if you're the characters in this story, more often than not, you're getting into some kind of trouble. You're oh, yeah, playing yeah. cards with the boys every night, all night, or uh, you're chasing down what in today's modern language I understand is referred to as your side piece or oh. uh, <laughs> side action, you know, uh, which yeah. is 
here for a couple of characters that that you send off the family so that you can have your part-time you know fun with somebody else who's yeah. not family and and also that there's these amazing layers involved uh that there's uh, so many stories being told and yet so many of them have, as you mentioned, those wonderful recurring Will Eisner themes. They, all these characters have, a, have real change in them. What I found was interesting. All the, I guess there's four main stories, I guess. There's Goldie, there's Willie, there's uh, Mr. Minx and his wife. Although they might not really change. They're, they're just going through the same things, I think, that's already happened to them. But then the wife and the husband, they're, they're, the Sam and his, and his wife, the, the, the parents of Willie, they, they really have – he goes from being – thinking he's got it made to – he thinks he's got it made, but he's even entrenched even deeper because she's not, she's not going to give him a divorce. She's not going to do anything to let him uh, away from his responsibilities to – uh, her and and the kids I, I thought that was an interesting out of the frying pan into the fire kind of situation not that being married is like that but just saying he thought he was going to get out of he, he thought he was in a, a difficult situation having a mistress and being married but now it's even worse because she knows and he's never going to get anything he wants he's only gonna he's 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 not going. He's he's in there. <laughs> it's the price of have trying to have your cake and eat it too. You know, he yes, wants he yes, wants full exactly. things, and she's saying, "No, actually, this is how it's going to be. Not only do I know what's going on, and I've known what's going on, and I'm not going to give you what you want, which would give you the chance to sort of walk away from all your responsibilities and start a new life because this one tires you, or you no longer you know want any of the things with it." Um, it, it also reminds me of the street singer because I had this great teacher um, who reminded us and, and it always stuck with me, who said in great writing, one of the things that can be really enjoyable is a character who starts in a place and goes through a circle of experience where they have an opportunity to change and then they don't, don't. and they come right back to where they are and you experience their you know, opportunities and opportunities and then they are who they are and they're right back where they were again. And that's who they're always going to be. Um, that, that one felt like it took us through that cycle for, for Sam and his wife. Uh, but it, yes, with, and also with uh, the Minx couple, I feel like that's another example where they yeah. sort of do this and this, but they come right back to who they are. They never stop yeah. being who they yeah. are. All that matters is what mattered before. But then for characters like Willie, yeah. For characters uh, like Goldie, I can't remember the character, the doctor character's name. It's totally uh, escaping me at the moment. Yeah, I didn't. Um, but, uh, you know. Uh, Benny, his Benny. Oh, wait, Herbie. Herbie was the uh, the doctor character. Benny was oh, that, the Benny's the, the nice kid. That's right. That's right. Herbie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and Herbie was, uh, you know, one of those characters who, who I felt didn't change as much, stayed pretty much true to himself. Well, he's the, he's the, he's the other character in Goldie's story, really. And, and that, right. the three characters in that story, his, his, Goldie's the main character in that mini story there. And I thought it was, you know, there it's all about Goldie seeing the, what's really important in people. You know, it's that, it's that moment where you go from being excited by the, 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 what's different and dangerous and that kind of thing. And then you find the, the person that's really a good person. And th that's who you should be with not 
the excitement and because that's what she's she's going looking for the excitement and the and that's what she thinks she has in benny but right it's 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 the regular hervey that's actually just a really good person that is best for well everybody really <laughs> well and she's she's also you know dealing with the same thing that benny is is that they're both living lies when they arrive on yeah the setting. yeah and she understands, you know, what that lie can cost her and, mm-hmm. and what the, the consequences of that can be. Benny doesn't learn from his experience. He's just going to keep on doing what he's doing until things work out the way he hopes they will. Um, and it's, it's Herbie who I, I think really sort of like understands that, man, you can lie about who you are. You can be true to yourself. And, and Herbie gets the reward because of that. He stays true to himself. And it's actually that truth that when he experiences Goldie suffering and he can give her that comfort that she looks at him and realizes, if I want to go through life, do I want to go through it living a lie and experiencing this, this sort of heartache from other people who are doing the same thing I am and lying? Or do I want someone who's exactly who they say they are, exactly what they say they're going to do? and then does it over and over again. Like there's something consistent about Herbie because he is who he is. He's not trying to be anything else. And, and right. why that's so valuable, why his authenticity is what makes him um, so important as the, uh, the right choice for Goldie. He, uh, as we're talking about it, it's like the, uh, it's like from a Hirsch in a contract of God, if he had never changed, he continues mm-hmm. to do the right thing. It's the, it's the flip yes. side of, of, of that. It's no matter what has happened to Herbie, we don't know, but it's the flip side of that, just continuing to do the right thing. And, right. And his belief in that, you know, clearly yeah. he, he has a sense of, of let's call it faith in yeah. what he's doing and why he's doing it. It's because he believes it's the right thing to do. It's mm. belie- he believes it's mm. how he should act and, and what he should do in regards to uh, his fellow man or, <laughs> And he's, and he's not judging her either. He doesn't judge her yeah. for what she does, you know, or what she did that led her into that bad situation. Right. You know, she, he, he's not judging her for any mistakes she made. Yeah. He's accepting her for who she is. And in doing so, he's making it so clear for her that all she has to do is accept Herbie for who he is. And she's yeah. going to have a great person in her life. Like if she yeah. can look past what she thought were, uh his limitations oh yeah. you're just a band player oh yeah. you're just you know what she hasn't even discovered yet is this is a doctor in training who's <laughs> yeah. got a great career ahead of him who's yeah. got so many things lined up for him and yeah. it's all the product of, of of what he's been doing consistently not trying to be somebody else just be herbie um what, what i loved about that by comparison too is that you know uh, there's a real challenge in the story of willie from what he experiences to what he witnesses to then how that shapes the person we see in that final panel. And while that's changed him, I also feel like it's shown Willie, you know, to an extent that there are things in the world that he's going to experience and they're not all going to be uh, things that are there to help him. And they might actually be things that are taking advantage of him. And in some ways uh, knowing what he wants to be involved in, what choices he's going to make and the consequences he's going to face at 15, you know, looked at as a man, uh, 
at, by the end being called the man of the house by his mother because dad's yeah. gonna be traveling and yeah. uh, you know he's gonna have to take <laughs> traveling <on> right <laughs> <laughs> and this whole idea that's suggested where willie is sort of getting that that sense of how the world really works and he's on that 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 uh landing that fire escape you know considering all that he's experienced all that he's about to experience and also you know it, it, it appears making some decisions about so what does this all mean and you know how do i come to grips terms with everything i've experienced and everything going on around me we're going to take a quick break to pay some bills with the following ads and then bring you right back to our conversation what, what i wrote down for that bit with willie was that uh he's he's had a true loss of innocence in every way in this story mm. everything he believed probably about his life and the world around him this week or two or whatever it is how long he's away it totally changes everything mm. he sees he hears his parents he knows his parents are something's going on with them uh, he's essentially uh you know, taken advantage of by an older woman. Hey, it's titillating and exciting. Oh my gosh. But then he sees the reality of that is that it's nothing to do with him. Mm -hmm. He's not, she's not into him. It's not about him. She and her husband are, 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 I guess the way it came out to me was they're like turned on by the infidelity mm -hmm. because it's part after, of a cycle with them, right? Like, yeah, again. yeah. Yeah, it's like because after she takes advantage of Willie and he catches them, they're turned on and they have sex right there in front of him. Right. And it's I mean, like this oh, is a shocking thing, especially yeah, after the man yeah. you know, physically assaults the woman. It, it, it's yeah. off, off, off panel. But you're yeah. aware of the fact that threats are made in the mm -hmm. uh, suggestion of physical violence, followed yeah. by foreplay and then all out intercourse right yeah. in front of the boy she just seduced. <laughs> took advantage yeah. <laughs> of and and now has shown so little regard for as they both do um yeah which, which really struck me because if you go through that like how how would i mean i would imagine afterwards i would see the world as this thing that happens in spite of me that has very yeah. little regard for who i am or what i care about let alone uh the fact that i'm a human being uh, existing in the space that they are because in that moment he's not He's no more important to them than the barn, than the straw, than the yeah. loft. You know, he's he's as much an inanimate object as anything else around. And what is what does he learn about um, sex from that experience? Or that, relationships? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what what does that? I mean, Eiser draws a great panel of him sitting there with the blanket pulled up. All you can see are like his eyes over the blanket. That kid is terrified. He's yeah. terrified as that's happening in front of him. It just, to me, it just completely, I would imagine, destroys the notion of the beauty of, you know, people that love each other, engaged in a relationship. And it just totally turns it on its head to where it's, it's scary and terrifying and it's not at all what he thought it was going to be like 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 five minutes ago when it was him and the and the woman he was probably like oh, and now it's you know it's completely switched on him i feel like that last panel when he's looking out 
there's just so much weight on his shoulders. I feel like that image is just him realizing everything's changed and he's just trying to figure out, I think you said it, his place now, his place in the world now. What you're the man of the house. There's all this other stuff going on. And but what about, you know, emotionally inside? He's nobody knows what's happened with him. His mm-hmm. mom, his dad, none of the other characters. None of his family know. So he's all alone too. Now he feels now he's all alone. He's he's outside by himself, which is a and everything else is going on inside, which is a nice visual uh uh depiction of the separation of him being all by himself now mm-hmm. in the world outside, as opposed to inside with the family and part of a safe, loving environment, which he thought he had at the beginning right. of the story. And now it's just yeah, isn't it this? Oh, isn't it amazing that all this stuff is in this story? This is not a long story. This is not like a a fifty page story or anything. This is not a really long story. No, this isn't but War and Peace. This is this is amazing how much stuff Eisner can put in and be so effective with it. I yeah. mean, even how many pages is Goldie's story? If we just saw Goldie, right. <laughs> six or seven pages probably total if it was just her story eight maybe but there's so much in there and and all together you put them all together and it's that's one of those really stunning things about eisner's ability as a storyteller um and, and he was great with the spirit and being able to tell these fantastic stories in seven or eight pages but even in a longer form here he's not satisfied with one story he's got like four going on that are all told, you know, perfectly. I mean, (sighs) (laughs) it's a lot to take in. We've we've been at this for a while talking about, I think the one thing that that struck me the most would be my final thought on Willie is he's yet another example of a character who has gone through something where everything it's like we were talking about um and i'm going to take this all the way back to the beginning yeah about what you were like as a comic book reader before and after discovering will eisner and for each one of the characters in this story they experience something that then defines their lives as before and after that moment and how after that moment they can never go back you know to the way things were before after each one of these (laughs) characters experiences something that they've experienced shown to us in these stories they are, as you mentioned, changed. Some not, you know, completely. Some are the constants that are always going, that always exist. But the stories that we experience of the characters we care about, and that's the important part. One, he makes us care about these characters. And then yeah. afterwards, he shows us how something changes, what they were into who they are. And like all of us, once that change occurs, it's irreparable. You can never go back so the story of Willie and that final panel is the story of a boy whose association with sex, with love and relationships will forever be altered by the moment he experienced at 15 on the cusp of manhood at the height of his like sexual curiosity, excitement and, and wonder. All of that in that moment irreparably altered by what he experiences, what he sees, and what he learns. Uh, The same thing happens to Hope. You know, there's what she thinks up until the moment she meets Benny and has, uh, you know, is assaulted by him. 
and then everything afterwards, you know, what she thought she was going for, what she thought she cared about, what she thought was important yeah. is forever altered by any and then realigned through Herbie. Uh, the street singer who goes through this whole cycle of thinking he's going to do all these things <laughs> only to learn that he's the villain of his own story. As I've heard Tony make the reference a couple of times, about, <laughs> I always love that reference. Yeah. I asked him once about the comics. Uh, what is it? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And he's like, Oh, he's just a villain in his own story. You got <laughs> to check it out. Um, and then also, you know, when it comes to uh, the super and also with the original contract with God, you know, with the super, it's someone who has all of these things, has an understanding of the world up until that moment. And then suddenly the loss of his dog, the betrayal by a child and his subsequent, you know, change in life uh, it is, is equally heartbreaking when you compare it to the one that we start out with, with uh, Frim Hirsch, yeah. who, who up until this period had a contract that had worked and then when it no longer works, he can't go back ever after that. Once he throws that thing out. And I, I really like that sense of giving us that understanding because we can all reflect on moments. And like I said, my example that I can always go back to 17 years old and everything before I hurt my knee and then everything about after I did those, that, that's like a, a turning point in my life that I can always mm. you know, point to a paradigm shift as we were talking about before. Yeah. And, and how through this, he is showing us the things we already know, but he's showing us through new characters and experiences that make it feel fresh and also dig into those parts of ourselves that, let's be honest, if I experienced what Willie experienced at 15, I would not want to go back to that memory very often. Yeah. But on occasion, if I came across a story like this that reminded me of things that I chose to forget and reminded me about how important it was or how it is that we don't like to dwell in these areas, but how formative they are to who we were and who we eventually become. Uh, he's showing us these things about ourselves that, as you mentioned in the beginning, are the quiet moments that we sometimes miss, uh, just as equally as the monumental moments that we so often base our kind of framework as to who we are, who we were, and what we are capable of moving yeah. forward. Um, pretty amazing journey in such a short yeah. book, you know, pretty amazing black and white <laughs> journey, you know, and here we are some 40, 50 years later after its creation, talking about the impact it continues to have. And <clears> I got a feeling still... that, if, that if you give this book to somebody that doesn't know a lot about comics, that, that they would just be astound, stunned. And then you tell him, oh, yeah, not only that, it's it's almost 45 years old, too. <laughs> <laughs> this is written in 1978. This is not new. This right. is not this is not contemporary. This is this is old. <laughs> there's a reason why it's called a seminal work and one that's yeah, existed in yeah. comics history for decades. Yeah. There's a reason, um, man, that has been for me so many great things to talk about, but I wanted to know if there was potentially anything we didn't address regarding Will Eisner, contract with God, the spirit, or anything else like that, that, you know, you had thought of or would like to include, because those were all the points that as we were going through, I was like, okay, I want to hit these points along the way and, and make a point of addressing them. And I feel like I covered most of them, despite my attempt to just gloss over the super, which you saved us from. <laughs> 
greatly thank you for. But I also just keep in mind that, you know, you came into this conversation with some expectations as well. And if there was anything uh, you wanted to bring up as well, I just wanted to make sure. I was looking at my my notes to see if there's anything. uh, I I think the only the one thing I will mention, we touched on it somewhat, but how with this book, Eisner is not adhering to any sort of standard comic book format. We talked a little bit about that, but just the way the whole thing starts, it's it's completely different. He, He shifts from... Um, like almost book illustration at one point mm-hmm. the whole page is the panel to where it it suddenly shifts to you know more standard panels and then he has other pages where the entire page like the very last page the entire page is illustrated there's no framing at all but and there's no illustration or a narration it's just the, the like a regular panel is just huge and he he uses those uh variations in his uh choice of panels or pages whatever you want to call it to 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 pace the story and tell it in uh in in a different way than what you're used to seeing in comics and uh, we talked just a little bit about that but i just wanted to bring that up because that was one of the things that you know reading it again uh struck me was how how different it really is especially when you first start at the beginning and it's it, it sets you up sort of like a uh, a story that is my phone ringing in case you hear that um it's <laughs> <That's> okay <laughs> the uh like illustration where it's setting the the, the 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 stage for what for what he's gonna what he's gonna do next and then once you get to a contract with god it's it slowly changes from these full page uh full pages which could be you could imagine these shrunk down with a small caption and each of them could be a panel on a page but instead he uses the full page format as a uh, a way of moving you through the story in a different way and i just the the, the variation just is really you know he's he's freed from any sort of form constraints that one might expect to have in a comic He's he, it's he's doing his own thing, and I'm sure there are others that have done similar things, but I don't know that it all comes together quite, quite in the same way that that he does it. You know what I mean? I mean, like even here, you know, the whole background is is the is the black, right? Um, which is so it sets the tone and the mood so differently than you would on the next page when it's all. It's all white backgrounds, you know, right. it just, it's just that, that storytelling variation. It's, I, I could go on for hours um, about his, <laughs> his technical achievements in comics, but uh, just, uh, just real quickly. And, you know, mine is actually in brown and white. Um, I don't know if you can tell that on the pictures. It's not actually, no. it's, it's brown, it's brown and it's not really a white page. It's a, uh, almost like a manila folder covered. Interesting. And if okay. I remember, if I remember correctly, and I'm not, I don't know if it's on the back of the book or not. Uh, let's see. If I remember correctly, I feel like that's how it was originally published, okay. and this is the this is a when they did this version in '85, they reproduced it that way as opposed to 
uh, black and white. That could be wrong, but I am remembering something that happened that I, I feel like I read 35 years ago. So I could be wrong about that, but okay. I feel I, but that, that stuck with me uh, because it's the only book of his that's like that. And with Brown ink and, uh, uh, and the manila paper as opposed to a standard black and white which everything else of his it's in black and white that i have right that's interesting yeah i'm i'm curious now to see if i can find an old copy and compare that with i think uh what i really enjoy what you were describing with the the way he uses layout for every page it's almost like in the process of telling this story he's saying let me show you everything i've learned and let me show you page by page how you tell a story based on what the story is telling <laughs> and the technique that you should use to tell that story in the best way possible. Like I am a master at my craft. Let me show you not only everything I've learned, but how you use that every instance of telling a story so that you bring out the best of the story so that you make that part of the story important for all the reasons, whether it's to set a tone with that, that black background that you were describing where you feel like everything else is highlighted or with lamps to mm-hmm. when you uh, you know exclude that and and choose to show uh, a similar shot of that same scene but without that same sort of uh, heaviness that you've created and how you start out with almost like a movie style of like a big wide camera shot on those first couple pages yeah yeah and then he's like okay so now I've narrowing it down you. he's narrowing right. down the focus yeah right now we zoom in and now we get in. And, and all of those elements, I feel, are him saying, this is what I've learned. Let me show you how it works when I use it in the story I'm telling. And please note, in every instance I'm using it, on every page, the, the purpose of the technique is to tell the story the best way possible. It's, it's like when you watch one of those masters at a craft like you were describing actually with the inkers, how they're starting yeah, at that point. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, the hell is that dot? The <laughs> yeah. hell is that dot? Yeah. And then they start to show you like, okay, you didn't see what I was doing. And there's a reason because I'm seeing it and this is how I'm seeing it. And this is why I'm showing it to you in this way. Um, it definitely felt as I went through page by page and as you were describing it, I was reminded of this, of someone who is a master at what they do saying, this is how you do it. You know, it's almost like an instruction manual. It's, mm. it's almost like a, this is how you create comics, depending on what you're doing and why you're doing it. The panel should dictate it, the color or the, the shading, the technique, everything about what I'm doing has a purpose. And in each page, there is proof of that execution, that reason behind the justification for why I did it this way. Because when you analyze it, you go, Yep. Okay. And you flip it again and you go, yep. For what he wants to do and what he's trying to tell us and show us, that's the exact way you should be doing it. Because once you've seen it that way, you realize there is no better way to do it. That's the right way to do it for the story he's trying to tell. Um, I think that kind of excellence is one of those things. I was going to mention it earlier because there was something you were saying about his excellence and I'm reminded of it. And it's that story I always hear about, I believe it was either Leonardo or Michelangelo. You know how those, uh, those greats were always being commissioned by uh, religious leaders to perform a work. Yeah. And at one point when he was being suggested for a commission, they came, I believe it was Michelangelo. I'm not sure. 
but it was to one of those classic artists that came to him and they were like, so how good are you? You know, like, you know, how is it you believe you can do this? So he turns around and he puts down a piece of paper, draws a perfect circle and then looks at them like, <laughs> this is what I do. You know what I mean? If you want to see just how good I am, here's a perfect circle drawn freehand. So what else would you like to talk about? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I feel he's doing with these pages is he's going there. It's perfect. I know it's perfect. You know, it's perfect. There's nothing else to say. Turn the page. You know what I mean? Um, which is a great old Bob Seger reference that makes me smile. But yeah, just turn the page, man. Um, Matt, this has been a hell of a conversation. I've, it has. I've I told you I had three hours. hours. <laughs> And I'm using That's a okay. great deal of it. <laughs> um, That's okay. I'd love to invite you back for when this uh, this goes live, because during Will Eisner week, I'm going to see if I can get you and maybe some others from DC Comics News to join me for a couple of live things about Will Eisner. But I love that for anyone who wants to participate, I'll have this available for them to listen to so they can get an idea of what we've talked about, see what else this can kind of foment regarding conversation topics who knows what we might unlock for others who are listening and going ah, ah but i have so much more to add on that we should talk so i'm looking forward to others who might want to follow up with us because we've unpacked so much not only about will eisner but about this work uh, about our own understanding of it as comic fans as comic readers their own personal histories um, and i also know We've barely scratched the surface. As you said, we could talk for more hours about this easily, uh, right? Well, the, easily. The, one of the things that, that struck me was I, I probably need to go back and reread a lot of the other stuff of his. That, and one of the things is I got into Eisner so when I was still a teenager. So mm -hmm. I was reading that stuff as a kid. I mean, like I said, I was still a kid. And I'm, I'm reading that stuff then. And I'm, you know, what have I, what have I missed? What did I what did I not see then that I will go back and see and see now uh, with the hindsight of being, you know, well, don't be shy <laughs> about what you're reading. Let me know, let anyone who might want to follow you uh, and keep up with your reading. So maybe we can have a follow-up conversation about this, invite others to uh, join and uh, maybe direct them and all of us to another work of his that we can consider since we're kind of nearing the end. I just want to give the opportunity um, to, to let people know that you're, you're out there in the world. They can find you should they want to continue this conversation. Um, yeah. We mentioned your podcast, which I'd like to give another reference to again. You're with comics in motion. Classic comics with Matthew B. Lloyd. It comes out every other Monday every on the other. comics in motion network. Yeah. I flip flop with the uh, superhero super, yeah, superheroes for dummy show on Mondays. Right. That's hosted by our own Mr. Steve J. Ray. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, where else, if, if folks wanted to find you, it sounds like you might, you know, wade into the waters of uh, the Twitterverse and the, uh, yeah. the dangers lurking there. Yeah. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at, Matthew B underscore Lloyd. I'm sorry, Matt B underscore Lloyd. Gotcha. I had to I had to use Matt B. I could Matthew wouldn't go for whatever reason. I don't know why, but it's <laughs> at Matt B it. underscore Lloyd. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly. That other Matthew so B was out there. Yeah, yeah. Arr, that's me. Uh, yeah. So that's the best place to find me there. And if you're in Greensboro, North Carolina, you can find me at the Cracker Barrel on Windover, and you can pull me over to the table and 
distract me from my job for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry about those tables. Let's talk comics and spirit. Exactly. Eisner. And, hey, did you ever see this one from 1943? And, uh, you know, go from there. <laughs> I've gotten distracted from people with, uh, with music sometimes. Um, somebody had a T-shirt on one time and I said, I actually know who that band is. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah. And so we talked for too long. The food came out. His wife was smiling, but I knew secretly inside he, she was like, can you please leave so we can eat? <laughs> right. You don't want this showing up in your Yelp review. <laughs> I will complain that he spent too much time talking to my husband about yeah. music and bands. Uh, you also write reviews for DC Comics series. Is there anywhere oh, yes. else out there that uh, yeah, folks yeah. can find you? Um, regularly, uh, there's a, I did a chapter with a friend in a, in a book about Batman. Uh, oh, please. Yes. I, I, I love this. <laughs> Politics in Gotham, the Batman universe and political thought. It is available on Amazon and it's in a paperback form now. So it's cheaper than the original hardback, which was insanely expensive <laughs> uh, and cost prohibitive for even the, uh, contributors to buy. Um, Oof. But you can you can find that. And my friend and I also have a chapter in a book about Black Panther coming out at some point. But there's been some delay, especially with the death of Chadwick Boseman, because they were going to try to sync it up with the release of the second movie. Black and now Panther that, movie. yeah, now that he's he's passed, there's some, you know, changes coming for the movie. So I'm not quite sure when the book is coming out at this point. But, OK, so we're always looking to do stuff like that. So. I'll, I'll post about that on Twitter. If that, Please else do. Like that comes to fruition. Yeah. But you've given folks a couple of places to find you, whether it's a DC comics news, whether it's uh, um, classic comics on uh, comics in motion, uh, whether it is out there in the, uh, the world of Twitter, there's mm-hmm. a couple of places that people have where they can find you, send you a message, follow up on our conversation, talk more classic comics with you, or, you know, talk about anything else that I guess might come up. But uh, given what we've already unlocked, I'm sure they should know by now that you have a wealth of information available and clearly you are more than willing and happy to share it, to which I am grateful uh, and which I want to say thank you, man, for coming on today and talking with me. Well, thank you. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to have a a space to talk about, you know, passions because some, you know, I'm sorry, my, my kids don't want to hear me talk about Will Eisner for two hours at the dinner table. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. My wife's the same way, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, things you're passionate about, you want to talk about and share. That's one of the nice things I guess about social media is there are, uh, there are outlets now where you can get together with people and discuss the things you like, even if you don't always have people in your, um, immediate uh family and friend group that have those exact same interests and uh you know music music's the same way so if you're into music too i'm uh, music is the other other passion in my life and if you listen to the classic comics uh podcast you'll hear some music too that is all the music i do i use on that show is is me uh so it's either something i've written or something i've uh covered so it's oh that's huge it's, man yeah it's me so it's like the theme song is me there's a and i think any music is me playing and <laughs> singing and all that stuff so that's and it's an outlet it's an outlet i have where i can do something with that so that's a, a little bonus but that's huge that's man too. yeah hey uh thank you again for coming on with me talking with me i look forward to the chance to uh you know talk with you more about comics 
who knows what else might be in store and what episode uh, I'll get to have you back on. But man, thank you for being here and talking with me. It's been a great time. I had a great time. Thank you, Seth, for asking. Uh, yeah, anytime we'll, we can set something else up. I had a blast and it was a great conversation. Uh, you really got me. By asking me to do this book, you got me to re-examine something I hadn't examined in a long time. And then our conversation in the in the course of the conversation, you continue to to get me to think about it in uh, a new and uh, I felt insightful ways. So so I'm appreciative of that as well. My pleasure, my friend. With that, I'm going to uh, stop our recording, allow us to finish whatever uh, bits of conversation we will. Uh, in our own privacy. And uh, <laughs> with that, uh, hey, you've been listening to Storytelling with Seth. It's been my pleasure to have on with me, Mr. Matthew B. Lloyd. Thank you, sir. And that brings us to the end of episode number 88 of Storytelling with Seth. It's been my pleasure to share this conversation that I was lucky enough to participate in with Matt B. Lloyd. He left you all the great ways to follow him, but I will go ahead and share a reminder that you can always catch him on Classic Comics from Comics in Motion and writing news and reviews for DC Comics News. I look forward to the next opportunity when Matt and I can sit down, talk classic comics, creators and innovators, and share another wonderful conversation with you. Please make sure to never miss out on this and all future episodes. Just subscribe now to Storytelling with Seth on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Have a comment or a story you think should be on Storytelling with Seth? Please reach out and let me know, either on Twitter as one more singleton, or on the wider internet, just by typing in my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story. Until then, I look forward to the opportunity to share the next story with you.